The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander. Today we're going to be talking about the coronavirus crisis in China, but not what we've been talking about for the past few weeks on the health side of it. We're going to talk about the trade aspects of it and the impact that is now starting to be felt very, very deep in Africa, in particular in Africa, because for the past 10 to 15 years, African governments have spent a lot of time integrating their economies with China. So when you're in Nigeria and you pick up that techno phone, uh, you don't think about where it came from or the just-in-time delivery that they have so that they're minimizing inventory. When you're a coffee farmer in Kenya, you take for granted that Kenya Airways is flying uh, your coffee beans over to Chinese consumers. And in South Africa, where they are running low on things like cement now that used to be imported from China, uh, you never thought that your construction project or your building was going to run into very expensive delays. Force majeure clauses in contracts across the continent are now being looked at much more carefully because of the dependency that a lot of businesses in Africa now have on trade and economic integration with China. So we thought we'd like to get a frontline view of what it's like on the trade front. And for that, I'm just so thrilled to have back on the show again, uh, Walter Rigo, who is the managing director of Kamal Group, uh, based in Beijing. By the way, he's been posting these amazing updates on LinkedIn on what a surreal environment it is in a city of 22 million people right now that seems to be empty, like a, a, a movie. Are you surviving, uh, Walter? Hi. Yes, I'm surviving. No problem. It does. Your post, do you, you were on the, the Beijing subway all alone. And I can tell you, being on, you know, Beijing is almost never quiet like this. And it's been rather remarkable to follow your updates. Well, let's get right into the, the business side of the COVID-19 or coronavirus outbreak. Uh, how's business these days? You know, it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough time from, uh, you know, like you mentioned, from a health point of view, but also from the economic uh, business and trade. Uh, it's actually now becoming a bigger factor than the actual virus itself. Um, one of the main reasons, as you know, we are focused on procurement. So we're helping foreign clients uh, import different products from China. So a lot of the factories, um, they're still not open. Uh, but in the last week and in this week, um, you know, we, we, we are seeing some movement. It's nowhere near where it should be. And so, you know, there's a lot of cargo that is not moving. There's a lot of logistics companies that are not uh, working. So the economic, uh, the economic pain is real. And more, uh, more relevant, actually, is the non-tradable sectors, you know, such as the hotel industry, the entertainment. Um, it's basically been brought to a standstill. So this is a very painful time, not only from the health perspective, but also from the economic uh, perspective. So you and your colleagues at Kamal Group are very much a part of this complex network that forms the supply chain between China and Africa and China and many other countries. But we'll focus on Africa right now. And you have spent years perfecting this supply chain, building up relationships, both to secure the products that African buyers want and then to get them out of China 
all the way into Africa through customs and whatnot, through that 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 labyrinth of approvals and shipping and all of that that goes on right now. That, from my vantage point, from what I'm seeing, has come to effectively a grinding halt, whether it's by air or by sea. So you can the factory slowing down is just one part of it, but then getting it out of the ports in China is another part. Talk to us a little bit about the obstacles in detail that have come up now in moving goods from China to Africa. Yes, um, as you know, this outbreak happened at the same time as uh, Chinese New Year. So typically there is a downtown during the, the Chinese New Year because a lot of people are not working. So typically we are able to factor some of the slowdown into, into the procurement process. But of course, this year the, the Chinese New Year has been extended and a lot of factories have just stopped. And um, from the logistics point of view, uh, you know, some factories had already produced the product, but it cannot get to the port. However, the ports, it's not that the ports are closed completely. Cargo that was there during and before the Chinese New Year actually has already left. So one of the big problems we're having now is moving the cargo from the actual factory to the port. And and um, that's where we are at, at this moment. Another big issue that has come up is that um, the deciding factor right now seems to be the local government. So there's a lot of uh, imbalances depending on where the factory is located. So for instance, we have a supplier located in Liaoning province and Liaoning, the main port is Dalian. And that factory is operating as normal. They're already back to work, they're already producing. However, we have other suppliers in Shandong and our orders are actually complete because they are completed before the Chinese New Year. But to move the product from the factory to the port, there's just no logistics companies. Uh, when we move further south, especially close to the epicenter of Hubei, uh, there the factories are not even allowed to go back to work. So there is no even discussion as to when when the when they'll get back to work. Uh, the most optimistic uh, time frame I've seen for around that area is March first. But again, the most important thing to note is whether the factory itself is operating and can the cargo move from the factory to the port. That's the biggest challenge we are seeing at the moment. How long do you think it's going to take? Let's assume that things stay the way they are right now, because we don't have a sense as to which way the the virus is going to go. There are some optimistic projections now coming out that it may have peaked, but I am skeptical of that until we actually see some some continued prolonged results. But let's assume that things go on right now. March 1, which is just a couple weeks away, seems rather ambitious. Are you confident? And what are you telling your clients in Africa about these logistic blocks in China and whether or not March 1 is a reasonable deadline? Um, listen, Eric, there's a lot of hysteria uh, in the media. There's a lot of uh, panic. But, you know, China is a very big country. Uh, it's a very big country. There's a lot of factories. There's a lot of provinces. There's a lot of cities. So what really matters, actually, is not even the bigger picture. What matters is the specific factory, the specific product, you know, the specific local government, because these are the things that uh, are going to affect the supply chain. So like I said, we have a client whose cargo is stuck in Shandong province, right? That factory, uh, the sales the people are already working, but the factory is not allowed to work. Right, the people they're ready to go back to work, but the factory, the local government has not allowed them to go back to work. So as soon as the local government gives a permission, that factory will be up and running. 
and the logistics companies, if they if they also up and running, the cargo will be at the port in less than a day. So for me, I'm very optimistic in terms of the factories that are uh, very that they're quite a way distance away from the from the epicenter, because at the moment now the danger is is actually an economic uh, is an economic problem, not so much a health problem, because most small companies, small medium companies, the the cash reserves uh, they only enough from for to last one to three months. So you know it's not that the problem cannot be solved. It's the problem has to be solved in a very short time. So actually, I'm quite uh, optimistic in that from the discussions with most of our suppliers that by next week the factories will start working that are away from the epicenter because the sales teams are already working. Now it's a matter of the factories beginning to operate. If the suppliers are going to be back on track pretty soon, what about the ports and the logistics of actually getting the goods out of China? either by air or by sea? Um, listen, for China, one of the main things I said, again, is it's a very big country. So, and the most important thing is to look at which port we're talking about. So, for instance, uh, when we're dealing with the northern suppliers, most of the cargo is moving out of Qingdao port and Tianjin port, sometimes Dalian port. These ports are not uh, as affected by the, by the virus as, say, uh, some of the ports down south. Uh, the second thing is that the logistics companies have placed uh, the, you know, the most urgent cargo to be transported is is health and medical equipment that can be used in, in this fight against the virus. So, you know, around Hubei province, most of the logistics is already overwhelmed. So, in fact, if the, if, if the client's factory is in that area, then, you know, it's hard to say when... Uh, when the when they'll be able to to get back to work because you know that's the epicenter, but for most of the factories, especially in the northern part of China, uh, I believe they'll be op- operational by next week. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa China Reporting Project at Witt University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. So you have clients in South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Ivory Coast, and other African countries, but also in other parts of the world as well. You, I suspect, are on the phone quite a bit with those clients who are asking you what's going on, how are things going to be, kind of resolving themselves what are you telling them? We've got a lot of concerns. Um, one is for the safety of the company and also ourselves. And the second, of course, is the clients. They want their cargo. Um, however, the industries that we deal with, um, most of the cargo we are working with is equipment, steel, and you know, industrial chemicals. So one to two week delay, even maybe three week delay, we can get get away with it. So the clients, um, they understand this is almost a force majeure. So from from our perspective, this problem, if it's solved by next week, we will have dodged a bullet. But of course, there are other companies and other clients who are dealing with, uh, you know, just-in-time procurement. And if they cannot get their raw materials on time, they're, they're facing struggles. But for us, um, what I'm telling the clients is that, you know, if we can... If the factories resume production next week, then, you know, we'll have dodged the bullet. There's a certain irony here in the fact that the Chinese and African governments have spent 
again, 10 to 15, 20 years trying to integrate their economies in such a way to make it seamless to do trade back and forth. Now so many African governments have become dependent on Chinese suppliers, many of them provided by people like you, so that now it turns into a liability that there is so much dependence on a single country for these types of supplies and these types of materials. Are you hearing from your clients maybe some nervousness that this might be time to diversify away from China? Or is it that really nobody else provides the type of materials that China can produce at the scale and cost that they do? Um, there's two things. Um, I think the dependence on Africa, on China for, for, for the supply chain is also overstated because if you look at the trade patterns, China's biggest trade partners are actually not in Africa. You know, most of the Chinese uh, buyers, they, they're in Europe, North America and Southeast Asia. Right. So it's not only a matter of Africa being linked to the Chinese economy. It's most of the world is linked to the Chinese economy. There's a lot of talk about diversifying away from China in terms of the supply chain. But again, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of news saying that, you know, some clients want to diversify. But again, what matters is what is the type of product you're actually buying from China? Because, for instance, you know, with the U.S. trade war, if, if, if a certain client chooses to diversify to, say, Vietnam or one of the other neighboring countries, Sure, you can have your supply in that country, but most of their raw materials probably will still come back from China, that they need to integrate their supply to supply the client, right? So this is not just a China-Africa issue. This is a, this is a global, global supply chain issue. Also, um, the type of product is very important. So for instance, when we're dealing with heavy equipment, it's very hard to diversify away from you know, some of our suppliers because not only is the equipment... Uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to duplicate, but also the cost savings is very significant compared to the, you know, Japanese or Western companies who, who, who can uh, manufacture similar equipment. So from a bigger point of view, yes, there's a story that, you know, people want to diversify. But when you get to the details, you realize that it's not as simple as, uh, as most people uh, are setting it out to be. Also, there's another factor that people uh, need to consider is that China itself has been diversifying the economy away from so-called low-value, uh, low-value-add industries. So a lot of the factories in the southern part of China, textiles, you know, shoes, and these kind of industries, they're already moving out of China into places like Bangladesh and Vietnam and other countries. So you know, it's not a contradiction that uh, you know these two these two things are happening at the same time. You talked earlier about the fact that March 1, or in the next few weeks, we might start to see some calm. But in every business, you have to you know, create a different scenarios for different outcomes. What are you thinking about if this thing goes on for another two, three, four months, potentially even through the end of the year? There are two things we're thinking about. One, like I mentioned, the economy now, the, the economic problem is becoming a bigger issue than the health problem which means that you know the, the economy cannot afford to wait two to four months for people to return to work. That's impossible. I can, I can guarantee you that because, like I said, most of the factories, especially small, medium-sized companies, they, have, they only have enough cash flow to last one to three months. Right? So just from a strictly mathematical uh, you know, business point of view, it, it cannot happen. The second thing is that a lot of the factories, um, the government has issued different directives that 
regardless of whether the factory is producing or not, uh, wages needs to still be paid to the employees. So, for instance, one of our suppliers in Shandong province, I was having a discussion with them because they're holding some of our goods. And the irony is that I was more empathetic to them, even though they're holding our goods, because just from their insurance costs and from their wages cost, the monthly cost is over a million renminbi. So they have to pay this money regardless of whether they're producing their cargo or not. And, you know, nobody is going to refuse to pay that money because it has been mandated. But in two, three months, you know, that's not sustainable. So they have to start producing their goods and they have to start moving cargo. So it's, the economy, the economy, like I said, now is becoming a bigger issue than, than, than the health issue. But do you get the sense, though, that in Africa, people might be responding differently to it? There was news today coming out of South Africa that postal workers are refusing to handle any packages or letters from China without protective materials. Now, that goes to what you talked about earlier, which is the fear that people have. There's no evidence whatsoever to suggest that coronavirus can be transmitted on a letter or an envelope or a package, but yet people are afraid. So looking at this from the African side and talking to your African clients, what are they saying or what are you thinking that they, you're advising them for if this thing goes on for four or five more months? Yeah, I think from the, that's, a, that's a good point that you raise on the package. Most of the cargo that we deal with is sent by sea. So by the time it gets to the client, we're talking 30 to 45 days. So clearly there's no risk. And the air cargo that we do send, again, before it gets to the client through customs and all these things, it takes, you know, if it can arrive at the clients in less than a week, then, you know, that's already very good. So from the work I've seen, the scientific, you know, results I've seen, the virus uh, cannot stay outside of a host for more than 24 to 48 hours. So if the cargo is getting to the destination, you know, in less time than that, then maybe there's an issue. But most of the cargo that we handle, uh, the time is much more than that. So I don't see any risk. Ethiopian Airlines right now is the only major carrier. I think Air Algérie is the other one that's running. All the other African carriers have stopped their direct flights. Uh, you said that you do ship uh, some cargo via air. How has it affected your business to now not have that avenue to use or to rely exclusively on Ethiopian Airlines? Yes, Ethiopian is still flying. But again, like I said, <laughs> the issue is not so much the airports or so much the ports. The issue is getting from the factory to the port or getting from the factory to the airport because a lot of those logistics have been stopped. And especially if cargo has to go, you know, intercity or interprovincial uh, cargo, then, you know, it has come to a standstill. So the Ethiopian issue of flights coming is already a non-factor because there's a bigger problem that we are facing uh, domestically. And just getting the stuff onto the plane. Do you, you know, the Ethiopian decision was, is, or still is very, very controversial. Uh, what's your thought on whether or not these airlines should have uh, continued flying and whether Ethiopian should be flying. So Kenya Airways stopped, South African Airways stopped, a lot of these carriers stopped. Do you have any opinion on whether or not that was a good move or that was premature? I think the decision for Ethiopian Airlines to continue, they have been very clear why they decided to do it. They say it's a moral issue and their president said that, you know, they need to stick by China in this in these tough times. One new one piece of news that I did see that was interesting is that uh, you know, the USA has also banned their flights from coming here to China. But 
um, there was a there was a there was a meeting for the CDC, and one of the speakers was raising the issue that just because the the flights are not coming to China, people should not have a a false sense of security, because it has not been scientifically proven yet that you know the the flights uh, the flights will cause uh, you know they'll cause an increase in the infection. So, from my point of view, you know every country makes their own decision and. Uh, that's all I can say about that. Well, that's a, a nice way to end it. Walter, listen, thank you so much. We hope that you and your colleagues will stay safe. Uh, people, if you want to follow Walter and his updates, he's got amazing posts up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll put links to some of them in the show notes. And you can see he gives these really detailed, in-depth updates uh, from an insider's point of view. Walter, you're also on Twitter, if I remember correctly. What is your Twitter name that people can follow what you're reading and writing these days? Yes, I'm on Twitter, but I rarely use it. Uh, my handle is WRIGU, R-U-I-G-U. So LinkedIn is the place to find Walter. Walter Rigu, Managing Director of Kamal Group, doing trade between China and the rest of the world, giving us an update from Beijing on the situation and how the coronavirus or COVID-19 crisis is affecting trade and his business. Walter, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Rolanda, for having And that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Kobus will be back again with me next week for another episode. Until then, thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter where you can find Kobus at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.